Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Food that's good for the environment, good for the people who eat it, and good for the people who grow it. They pick it so it's beautiful when it comes to market, and you get to enjoy that. Local businesses is the, the first place that we can directly support somebody. You've got to believe in what you do, and if you stick to that, then you're getting there anyway. G'day, and welcome to another Quicksand Food Podcast. My name's Stefan Postuma. Thanks for joining me. Today, I speak with Marla and Kel Gray from the Pines Dairy in Kiama. You may be familiar with the Pines Dairy. They sell their fantastic milk around the Illawarra region. They also do a beautiful gelato and a lot of other fantastic dairy products. I had a great chat with them and their story is really interesting because they went from producing milk for a commercial market to becoming a micro dairy that was just really focused on quality and engaging with the community around them. It's really a success story of what value adding can do for a producer and how community integration can really benefit a business model. They're making cheeses now and they've always got new things on the horizon. I really enjoyed chatting to them. So I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Marla and Kel Gray from the Pines Dairy in Kiama. Kel, you were saying you're the sixth generation that's been up here? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to give yeah. us a bit of a background of the farm and how you guys came to be the, well, like where you're at now? <laughs> Background's actually better for Marla to answer. She knows my family better than I do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the land was purchased by um, Kel's ancestor. I think it was George Gray. Um, 1854. So wow. prior to that, they came out um, from Ireland, from a, a little um, county called from Manor, and they um, obviously had been in agriculture previously. So they spent seven years on a clearing lease, actually clearing the land, and then they purchased it, yeah, in 1854 and established a dairy farm. Wow. So um, there was a couple of brothers who immigrated together, and then they brought out more of the family um, over the years. So there were, yeah, I think there was six... Um, six siblings who ended up living in Kiama um, or Jerengong, mm-hmm. all from the Grey family. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So um, it's, it's kind of come down through the generations. Um, and, it, yeah, it was a commercial dairy farm, so we were on a contract to supply um, large corporations. And then when we moved in, we decided we would do something a little bit different. Yeah. Still remaining a, a viable dairy farm, but um, you know, in keeping the, the huge historical value for us yeah we didn't want to be the generation that stopped farming yeah (laughs) Yeah. so do you want to like talking about doing things a bit differently to you know being commercial and selling to large corporations and stuff what was the 
like what was the idea that you had in your minds and why did you sort of want to change the change the model um i guess oh, well in traveling i saw a lot of like small family farms that were making money by value adding mm-hmm. so that interested me value adding and then cheese has always been my favorite dairy product so the idea of being a cheese maker was pretty attractive mm-hmm. um but the main pressure in the end the main pressure was financial Mm-hmm. we were going to lose the farm if we yep. didn't do something drastic and do it fairly quickly right so yeah, yeah we, we kind of um, in the end it was a push mm. <laughs> yeah to go that way and just jump in the deep end and see what happened so it started did it start with cheese like where did the value adding start um, the idea started with cheese and we did a quick trip to Europe to have a look at some cheese makers um, over there um, but in the end, that was not financially viable either. So we started with gelato. Yeah. And then from gelato, we re- worked out that we needed two cows. That was it. Yeah. Produce enough milk for our just to start a gelato business. Um, but Dad refused to go below eight. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't going to milk less than eight at the time. We we're milking about forty, anywhere from forty to sixty cows. So yeah, right. He wouldn't go below eight. Was his favourite cows, and he wanted to keep them. <laughs> Uh, so with the extra milk, we just decided to bottle it, and yep. ironically, it was the bottled milk that kind of took off first. And what do you think? What do you think that's a re- like a result of? Why is the bottled milk something that? Oh, I think because people see it; it's everywhere. Something people have every day, yep. and so it's in fridges all over. Like as soon as you get it into a fridge, it's something. It's in front of people's face mm. all the time. Yeah. So was it a, was and it a surprise that that you, yeah. you, you know immediately you'd be selling that much? Well, the, the lack. Yeah, I guess. Um, because we do minimal processing, you know, we didn't realise people would really buy, you know, want that. And um, hearing the feedback and then hearing, you know, the demand grow and then, you know, people placing bigger and bigger orders every week and, and just the local support that we got was huge. And, you know, um, it was kind of like straight away chefs were, um, I guess, calling us up and, and saying, mm. we've tried your milk, we want to use it. Um and it kind yeah. of yeah, it kind of just built really yeah. the loyalty, the customer yeah. loyalty was a huge surprise. Mm. Yeah, we kind of by the time we started, we were just desperate financially to get something started. Mm. Um, so it's, for me personally, I never even thought about the relationships that you gain from customers, and mm. then then it didn't take long, especially because you're doing farmers market, so you are talking directly to the customer as well. Mm. That was a big surprise. But yeah, the milk was. I mean, the first two years we were doing such small production too that we couldn't keep up for two years until we... So, yeah, so the milk was in huge high, high demand because we were literally... We, our pasteurising was 100 litres. We could literally... It was only taking 80 litres. Yeah, litres. so we're doing it... Some, some days I'd be doing it three times a day. Yeah, just, the same machine, just to so have enough milk to sell that day. Start at you know? six in the morning and finish at nine, ten at night. Yeah, so we were so small scale it was ridiculous. Yeah. We were like beyond micro dairy. We were like <laughs> just <laughs> eight cows and, and a tiny pro- processor. Yeah. So once we got, we kind of, once we got to capacity and physically we just couldn't process anymore, we knew we had to up, upgrade the pasteurizer and get a bit bigger, which led to then putting staff on and kind of growing, you know, um, that side of things as well. But it also gave us the scope to move into other products like the yogurt um, and, and give Cal more time to start playing with cheese, which is what he really wants to do. So. Yeah. Mm. So I guess, and would you say at the beginning when you were starting to do milk that the local community around Kayama and the Illawarra were, you know, 
a lot to like attribute that success to. Of the oh, product. Yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's probably only very recently we've even Looked tapped into Sydney afield. at all. Yeah, yep. um, just again, it's just to to see what can happen if we go up there. But yeah, it's definitely the locals. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I guess that's a that's a real sort of success story for people wanting to use local local pro- products and, oh, ab- yeah. and you know and why it can work everywhere yeah if you have a local support doesn't we don't you don't have to be next to a major city you can be in a country area yeah. with a and half decent population and there's no reason like people are like oh we'd love to get your milk and you know we get people calling up from all over the, ca- the country western australia and perth and and Newcastle, they're like, can we, you know, can you can you ship it up here? We're like, why? You know, there's got to be a dairy who could do what we're do mm. we're doing, um, closer to you, and that that's more sustainable long term. You know, you start looking at food miles and, you know, the kind of production costs of getting milk somewhere. Um, we don't want to get much further afield. You know, kind of Sydney and mm. the South Coast is our area, and and there's other dairies who can do what we're doing. Um, and we would love to see more small-scale farmers kind of convert to being their own processes. Yeah, well, it'd be it's, really great. It's like you said, like anyone can do it. Yeah, and it, and it does make sense. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's viable for small family farming. Yeah, yeah. Which we don't see a lot of these days. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it meant that we could remain on the land um, just by doing, you know, oh, oh, it was a huge learning curve at the time, but retrospectively, it wasn't. You know, yeah, anyone could do it. Could have been worse. Yeah, <laughs> but that, like as as you say, like when it comes to value adding, especially with something like milk, there's so many different directions you can go. I mean, yeah, you can do bottled milk, and then you can do yogurt, and you yeah. can do gelato, and, mm-hmm. and then the cheese world's just mad. Like, yeah. you know, who knows yeah. where you and can go. And one thing we get asked a lot about, which doesn't really work for us, is people want cream and butter. But obviously, we need all of our cream content for our gelato, right. and we don't want to separate it out, you know, and then have a, a product like a, a skim milk or a buttermilk that we, you know, are trying to sell. So for us, that's not an option. But there's there's definitely room in the market for someone to take on, you know, kind of more of a cream-based production um, and do milk and cream and butter and all those wonderful things that we don't really have the time or interest to do. Um, it doesn't really suit our cows, our milk, and our farming. But mm. um, yeah, there's definitely room. We get asked all the time, "Can you do cream?" Really? We'd love to. And we do. You know, obviously, our, our milk has got cream in it, but we need it all for yeah. ourselves for our production. So yeah, yeah, cool. There's no point separating it out. But it'd be great if someone else wanted to start up and do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you get Do you get anyone asking if you do buttermilk? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much any dairy product. Yeah, you get you, yeah, you get goals. You yeah. get, do you do this one? Do you do this one? And we're already stretched pretty thin in the products we do. And I think over the next ten to twenty years, hopefully we're still operating. Then then we'll probably consolidate um, and and bring in a few products and lose a few. Of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, we like seeing what our milk can do. Yeah, there's only so much you can do with a certain number of cows and yeah, yeah. And it's nice to experiment and see what you can get from your from your milk. But we know certain things like cream it's just not going to be financially viable for no. us yeah yeah cool it's nice as the product would mm. at the end mm. of the day you have to pay for the machinery that you brought in to to get yeah. it so yeah do you um like do you think in terms of the market that you sell your milk to is it is it mostly selling it to just retailers who are selling the milk or like what's the sort of divide between mm. places like an iga but then also like chefs and cafes who use it for coffee and and, and that sort of thing because i, I know that like a contingent of people out there who appreciate quality milk are coffee people, baristas and 
cafes yeah, and things like the, that. We sell a lot more through the IGAs yeah. and um, that sort of wholesale movement um, where it's getting into the customer's hands as fresh milk mm -hmm. and they're using it in their homes. And as quickly um, as possible, that's the other thing, you know. We're literally bottling milk and, and delivering it that day. Mm. And and people know our delivery days for certain IGAs and other they're kind of they're waiting for it. So. Okay. Yeah, mm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. With baristas it's um we know it makes a really good coffee, but we tend to find baristas like um standardized milk. Yeah, okay. they do. Yeah. It's it's a it's consistency, so our milk fluctuates throughout the year. It's got different qualities to it um, at different times of year depending on the season and what the grass is doing what the cows are eating so I think you know if you get people who understand that and and can work with that that's fine but you get people coming in they kind of like why doesn't it froth as well or why doesn't it hold its right. texture the same way as it did in summer and it's like well it's a slightly different product at the moment but that's you know not a not a downfall it's something that we were very proud of um, but it sometimes get lost in translation and sometimes doesn't quite, you know, work. But again, we get some baristas who love it and they're like, yeah, you know, we would we would definitely use it. But then cost price is a, an issue as well, you know, when they can source, um, you know, still good quality milk um, at a cheaper price. It's hard for them to justify mm -hmm. um, spending a lot of money on, um, you know, a slightly more, um, I guess, boutique product. Um, yeah, so, we, you know, we, we get people who use it as an additional um, extra, mm. you know, they'll say you can have your coffee on the pines for another fifty cents. Or okay, whatever. yeah. So that cool. that tends to be the model that works best. Um, or people who use it like exclusively in their smoothies and and um, cold drinks mm. and stuff, and and have a pines milkshake on the menu. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. It makes a big difference. Um, yeah. Yeah, when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah I think the other the other products. Um, seem to work for chefs. Mm. Yeah, like yogurts and cheeses and all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. yeah. So and you d and so let's talk about that a little bit. So some of the cheeses that you have now, do you want to just give us a rundown of what you've got? At the moment, we're doing a, a cultured mozzarella, yeah, fresh halloumi and a labna, which yeah. is a yogurt cheese, um, and we're hopefully moving into the hard cheeses. Yeah, well, we saw that's one that you've got maturing now. That uh, yeah. yeah, so that's there's a few in there that are maturing. Um, the of the rest of the course of this year, hope to build an actual maturation room where the conditions are spot on for hard cheese, mm. and that'll make a difference. That mm. gives us an area that we can really work with, and and it's going to be reliable. So we're getting consistent um, results back from the cheese that yeah. we're making. It's cool. Um, the fresh cheese thing is cool as well, though, because you do have chefs, you know, anywhere, anywhere in this region that they can use things like halloumi, labna, mozzarella as a component of a dish that mm. adds to, you know, it could be used with a meat or it could be used yeah. with yeah. lamb yeah. or it could yeah. be used, you know, as a part of a main course. Yeah. Whereas a harder cheese or, you know, some of those, a boutique, a boutique matured cheese or something kind of only goes on a cheese board at the end of yes. a meal. Yes. It's less yeah. versatile. Yeah. So... Yeah, I guess you mean yeah. yeah we've got a whole range of people wanting the product. Like we get the local um, pizzeria who does a yeah. pines margarita special mm -hmm. um, once a month, and they take a whole bunch of mozzarella and and put it on the menu, and we kind of cross promote, and, and it works really well just in a local scale. But then we have you know some really top chefs in Sydney also wanting it on the menu mm. um, and using it in very different ways. You're mm -hmm. not just a pizza; like they're yeah. doing something very um, special with it, yeah. um, which is really lovely to see as well. That it kind of can cross all kind of 
mm. uh, you know um, phases of, of, of chefing and cooking yeah. it's not it doesn't have to be a, a high-end product only it can be used yeah. um, in all spheres so. the good thing about fresh cheese is it, it truly does rely on the quality of your milk because mm. mm. there's no maturation time so you can't do anything once it's done. You can't fudge anything. You it's can't. done. Yeah. <laughs> once you've gone through that method. Yeah. And so, yeah. and we try to keep it simple and pure. And this, yeah, there's not no additives added or anything like that. So, what, like, what, what is the difference then between what you guys do and what sort of commercial milk has and the processes that they go through? Um, for the milk process itself, well, I guess it starts all the way back in the paddocks. So we don't use any water soluble fertilizers or anything like that. It's all biodynamic type. Um, operation on the paddocks themselves um, we like to let the grass grow at a natural rate which is um, obviously weather permitting um, you're going to get a, a nutrient rich grass right. you, you let it grow a little a little slower and it's richer nutrient and then that nutrient hopefully enters into the milk yep. and so the result is that you get a tastier milk yep. um, we also balance the diet with the cows a little bit every day they get um, you saw down there they get a touch of hay yeah that's just a bit of roughage it just makes their gut feel good right um, doesn't add too much to the flavour but it makes the cow healthy and we think if we've got a happy healthy cow mm. we think that also contributes to the milk itself and then once you've got the raw milk we do as little as possible to that yeah <laughs> just what you that's legally have to do maybe yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and uh, you know Raw milk is the best dairy product there yeah. is. There's can no you, doubt can about you sell it. The raw milk? No, it's, no. it's still illegal in Australia. Is it? Um, mm. To sell it for human consumption. People get around the rule by selling it for um, cosmetic purposes. They call it bath milk. Oh. Um, and you're supposed to bathe in it. Because <laughs> I saw a raw yeah. milk product somewhere, like on the on the shelves and I was like I didn't know you could even do that so yeah you know. it's it's this it's still illegal to sell raw milk in Australia yeah. so anything that's been sold as raw milk is either um, for cosmetic purposes or it's not actually a true raw milk product yeah. right. um, but we, we you know we we do as little as possible which is a 65 degree um, pasteurization for 30 minutes which is the lowest legal temperature um, and it's longer so most companies are doing theirs at uh, 79 degrees for 15 seconds um, so it's a lot slower, a lot lower, and we're changing the proteins in it as little as possible. So. Yeah, so it's not always, it's yeah, it's not just the the heat side of things; it's the pressure. The pressure, yeah. Don't use we use slow pumps and big pipes, so there's not pressure on them mm-hmm. on the milk. And that's don't. because of the protein in it, because of the enzymes in it. We're trying to keep them in their natural state as much as we can. Um, that's not as much health as it is texture yeah, or so taste as you say it's, it's more of yeah. a textual thing yeah. Yeah, yeah and then you get that result when you uh, make a cheese yeah mm. cool mm. it's something that you definitely notice when you drink pine's milk as compared to a lot of other milks is that texture that full coats coats your mouth and just has that real yeah. sort of creaminess yeah it should be cream there mm. but the, the the beauty of the Holstein milk is it's it's a really clean finish mm and that's because it's got the smallest molecule of any dairy cow. Mm. Yeah, the fat molecules in, in Holstein <coughs> milk, they're all the same size, um, which means that they, they have a beautiful consistency. 
Um, they're a slightly smaller fat molecule and they're yeah all very similar shape. When, as you look at other milk under a microscope, you'll, you'll see some of the fat molecules are actually quite irregular, different shapes and sizes. So you get a different finish and, and that, that can be great for butter making, for butter and, and cream and, and um, some cheese making. But for drinking milk, Holstein milk's got a really beautiful um, textural component to it, mm-hmm. which, is, which is really nice. But it's... Um, it's been an interesting kind of tasting. We went on holidays just recently and we were testing other milks. You yeah, haven't okay. had to drink other milks That's for a while. That's what I was while. thinking. <laughs> like yeah. a milk tasting would be interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we, you know, we tried a couple that were a bit, no, no, you know, sorry, screaming children. <laughs> That's all right. Um, that weren't great. And then there were a couple that were kind of went, oh, yeah, they're doing a good job. Yeah. So it was interesting to be able to taste the difference. Yeah. 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 I've never done a milk tasting. Yeah, before. after years yeah. of drinking just the pine, yeah. it was like, oh, hang on, what are we going to buy in the supermarket? That would be weird paying for milk. <laughs> no, it was really yeah, it, it was quite strange. Yeah. The youngest is still has a bottle before she goes to bed, so we needed yeah, we had milk. To find yeah. something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, what do you look for when you taste milk? Like, is just it if you like it? Really? It's really that simple. Like if yeah, what, what I mean, we're looking for non-homogenized yeah pasteurized milk because we like the cream in it. But yeah, really, I'm just looking for flavor. Same yeah. as I have yeah. beer. It's uh, yeah. you know, if I like the flavor, then I like it. Interestingly enough, when we were starting out, we we did kind of use different temperatures on our milk just to see what would happen and to see if we could taste the difference. And yeah, we got to a stage where we we're like. It tastes like cooked milk. Like mm. <laughs> really, when we when it went mm. much above kind of the eighty mark, it was horrible. It just mm. you know it tasted like you know the difference between a raw egg and a cooked egg. You know, um, it was pretty huge. It tasted really different, um, and we could smell it even. You walked into the room, you like smells like really? cooked milk. Mm. So um, for us, yeah. it's that really kind of yeah minimal processing, and yeah. you get a really good yeah. flavour. And if you do minimal flavour, so we know at the moment. Our milk's got far more of a floral taste to it, and that's because they're eating clovers and rye grasses and a few um, like, um, few plants like chicory and plantain and so forth. Yeah, the summer grass around here is quite cute, and it's incredibly sweet. So yeah. in the summer, our milk gets really sweet, but it loses the floral complexity to it. Yeah, but so we just run with that. That's part so you've got like. As Marla was saying just before, like the the flavour of the milk reflects the seasonality of the pasture. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were saying, sorry, and I want to go in the weather system as well. Right. If you have a drought, it changes completely. Yeah. So I want to like I want to talk about the way, like the, the differences in the seasonality. So is it is it is it mainly like summer and winter differences or can you like I guess that sort of varies there's a scope the whole year yeah there, there's definitely differences all year round but there is a distinctive difference between summer and winter because of the pasture mm-hmm. that's what they're originally eating um, and then you can have changes so we, we can have changes even from um, from day to night on this place because we can have um, a weather based change mm-hmm. so uh, if we go back to March um, we were having periods where we'll have a day where it wouldn't stop raining we are having mm. that really wet period when it wouldn't stop raining it was and torrential rain the cows seek shelter mm-hmm. so instead of being in the paddock and eating all day they'll go and stand under a hedge or a tree and seek shelter which is justifiable yeah. in that sort of weather 
Yeah, it was um, running it, for three weeks straight, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. but it means that their their components of the milk, the the butter fat and the protein are much lower. Yeah, because they haven't been eating that pasture. Um, so then, when you go to make cheese, you'll get um, the curd has a different reaction when you start yeah, making right. the cheese, and you've got to adjust your method to to making that cheese, and you might get less yield or yeah, slightly different flavour in the milk than what you did, you know, the day before or the week before. Mm. So there can be variances not only from summer to winter with your, your main pastures, but also from day to day or week to week. And yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And I think it, when it comes to maybe more so when you when you start maturing cheeses and stuff and correct me if I'm wrong but like it'll be interesting especially with you guys having a stall down at Kayama and direct interaction with the customers being able to explain to them how this cheese that you're tasting now might be different to when you're tasting it in six months time because because yeah. of what the cows are eating basically yeah. which is which is great for farmers markets because we can do that we can explain that um, we don't have the skills at the moment in terms of marketing to explain that outside of <laughs> directly why well, I don't put um, explaining it directly to a customer in terms of marketing and that sort of stuff but it is something that we celebrate is that seasonality and we saw it in Italy um, our favourite cheese that we had was in um, in the Alpine region of Italy I was friends with an Italian and I skied with him for years in Australia and his best mate in Italy he's their family were the cheesemakers and had mm-hmm. been for 400 years in Jeez. their village. Wow. But they still only milked seven cows. Wow. It was just the most amazing experience. I've done cheese courses, you know, paid cheese courses and stuff in Australia. I learnt more in one morning with this family really? than I have in any cheese course in Australia. It was just fabulous. And, um, but he was telling me they make one wheel a day and the cows will go all the way up to 3,000 metres. In wow. the middle of summer, and then they come back down, and they transport the milk. These days, they transport the milk. They used to make the cheese where they were on the hill, just using what? a big copper pot over a open fire. Jeez. But now they've obviously changed it. But um, their autumn cheese is worth twice as much as their summer cheese, and has been for the last forever. Yeah, have long. And everyone around understands that. Everyone asks for the autumn cheese. Yeah. Yeah. It's where the cows are coming back down the mountain. They hit this perfect spot with all the flowers coming out, apparently, or something. I you know. It was we we're translating from Italian. <laughs> Some of it was lost awesome. to But anyway, what they're feeding was perfect feed. Yeah. For this type of cheese they make, plus um, they're seasonal milkers, which means the cows all going calf at the same time, all milk for ten to eleven months. Yeah and then dry off for one month and then back into milk again. Um, but as, as a cow goes through it's what's called lactation, the components will change in proportion to how much milk they're giving, and that's just mm-hmm. a natural cycle, same as a female when they're breastfeeding. Um, and when it's autumn, they're getting towards the end, so the amount of milk is dropping in terms of quantity, but the solids within the milk is lifting Yeah. Okay. proportionally. Yeah. So. Yeah, it just so happens that it creates this cheese that's worth twice as much wow. as the summer one. Is and there a, is there a pines is there a best sort of season you find for what you guys your cows here and the milk that you get out of them? Uh, late spring, yeah, early autumn yeah. usually. Yeah, what's usually that? What's when, that a result of? Like, it's usually just the pastures because it's just it's chilling off at night, so the grass is not growing too fast. You don't have that heat of summer. Um, usually, we've got a bit of moisture in the earth at that time. 
so you just get this yeah get this beautiful pastures growing um usually in in early autumn we've got um, a bit of clover starting to come through mixed with the kaiki so you've still got the sweetness of the kaiki but you're getting just mm-hmm. that touch of clover come through and the flip side at the end is you've got the remnants of winter grasses your plantains and chicories and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff hanging around at the end of winter when the kaiki starts coming through in that spring season yeah cool. and I don't know maybe it's also you know warm days and cool nights yeah the cows enjoy that happy yeah. and healthy yeah Cool. Mm. And so you like, as you were saying, you pay attention to you know how you let the pastures grow, and is that does that basically sort of depend upon how you choose to rotate paddocks and things like that, and yeah, keep them off for a certain amount of time? There's a permanent rotation, so we rotate through paddocks on about a th- we try to aim at thirty days. Yeah. So the cow's not back in the same spot until thirty days later. Right. Um that's where we aim for and depending on I guess this, the weather like you can be a few days either side of that most yeah. of the time but that's that's generally just the aim is they're back there within about 30 days yeah cool yeah yeah and then yeah. so that's just giving it just enough time to sort of enri- enrich the pasture to make it as sort yeah. of nutritious for them as well yeah it's just getting up there to where you want it um, yeah, at the moment we don't have that grass because we haven't had rain in two or three weeks yeah. and we're quite dry at the moment it looks green and that's from the growth that came through two weeks ago <laughs> but the earth's dried out so we're not it hasn't continued on mm-hmm. so the paddocks look green but there's not enough bulk in them to fill the cow up so they're getting a little bit of hay in the dairy just to um, give them a top up yeah. you don't want them starving yeah um, but yeah it's it's and that just seems like a good way of um, of operating since we've we haven't always done that this way we've, we've changed since we started you know our micro dairy system and um, the the farm looks better the mm-hmm. paddocks look better they yeah, look right. healthier we're having less almonds with cows we don't seem to call a vet very often at all anymore and if we do it's for some you know the last last time I think was just a, a calf coming backwards mm-hmm. it's just one of those random things yeah, yeah. you can't see it coming <laughs> it until it happens nothing to do with the yeah, environment yeah, exactly yeah we seem to, I think everything seems to be running a little healthier and seems to be a little more in succinct so, mm. yeah yeah I've seen I've met a, a couple of other farmers not necessarily dairy farmers um, you know it could be whatever stock but um, yeah definitely they've they've found the same thing this guy I know who runs biodynamic lamb down in Goulburn yeah, rotates and yeah. keeps them off paddocks for ages before he puts them back on and yeah. and and one of the major things that he was saying was the health of the was the health of the animals like yeah 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 we saw a huge difference yeah so we're on the coast down here we have this grass called kaiki which it would grow on asphalt if it wanted to like mm. it's so aggressive yeah it's so tough to keep out it of chokes out it. everything else yeah <laughs> so once it, until it cools off you really can't have anything else growing so we we find it hard to get a um, a complexity of feed which gives you <laughs> dog turns up <laughs> complexity of feed which um, can give you that natural health. Yeah. But with um yeah, in, it's a lot easier in winter when the kikes drop back a bit. Yeah. But definitely resting paddocks, and if we get a chance in summer, we will skip paddocks. Mm-hmm. We've got enough feed. We'll just yeah, cool. skip over it and let it rest. And yeah, soil soil health is huge. Yeah. Because that soil health, whatever nutrients in the soil, does end up in the grass, so therefore ends up in the cow. Cool. Mm. Uh, lastly, like I just wanted to talk about sort of 
we we mentioned it briefly before, but you know, you guys, you're gonna increase the size of your herd, like as as you move on and stuff as yeah. well. Like just about what's what's happening in the future for you guys. Yeah, I guess um, I'm adamant of being a cheesemaker, and mm. definitely the hard cheese is my passion. How many? Like, do you want to just get into one style of hard cheese, or a few different things, or just take it one step at a time? Um, I'd like to develop our own style eventually. Right. Okay. Something where we can we're actually culture our own milk. Yeah. So we'll use the culture that lies within our own milk from our own soils here on this farm, and that culture will then make the cheese, and we'll develop that flavour. Yeah. Over the course of you know um, twelve to. 12 months to two years or whatever mm-hmm. it is that's the main aim if I can get there but that's probably a 20 to 25 year project to be honest <laughs> that's a long term yeah um, in the meantime we're looking at the Italian Tom cheese um, because we're in Italy and we enjoyed it and it's around a 9 month maturation period what's considered a semi hard um, and probably a cloth bound cheddar mm-hmm. that's the other one that sticked out stuck out for us when we're travelling um, it's from Somerset England black and white cows on pasture fed fields mm. just everything ticked the box of what we're doing so we thought if we're going to go down that path of learning how to make hard cheeses it seems to you know why not follow someone's yeah, doing people really have well done for hundreds <laughs> yeah, of years yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no, and no, then no, we can put our own twist on it in the future uh, so in terms of production that's where we're heading um, I don't think we'll ever stop you know, bottling milk or making gelato or something like that. Um, for the cheese, you know, in- increasing herd size, we'll probably cap it at 50. Mm-hmm. So we're halfway there. So, yeah, like, I mean, that's important for people to know as well. It's like you explained to me before, even though, what, you got 24 now? 24. 24. Yeah. And you considered a micro dairy and really small, yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just amazing that, like, the, the whole story, like, you talk about how you know it was imperative for you guys to do something different and then value adding and whatever and now you've got 24 cows and you know a solid product line that the community is embracing it's such a it's such a awesome success of sort of the local food movement of people supporting yeah, like yeah and and people like yourself who are passionate about making something that's a reflection of who you guys are and and, and what you do here it's yeah it's cool yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's um yeah, it's been well. Most days are enjoyable. Yeah, <laughs> and you got such a good spot. You were saying as well that you're gonna look into doing some events and getting getting the public involved, like on the farm itself. Yeah, I've, I think eventually we'd like to do cellar door. Um, that's we're definitely um, looking at that path. When I look at success stories of, of value adding, I look in the wine industry. Yeah, and if you look at areas like the Hunter Valley. Um, not that I was there, but if you read about what was happening 30 years ago, there was just a heap of what was considered grape growers. Yeah. And then, you know, there was too many of them, too much grape in Australia, and the big companies didn't want it, so the price went through the floor, and so these guys decided, well, I'll make my own wine, mm-hmm. and whether necessarily did themselves or whether they got a winemaker in, but it became single-origin wine, and then from there they started selling on their their own property and you look at you go there now into the hunter and you know i i can't judge if their finances or anything but they all the property looks good of course yeah they look 
you know, they look like they're enjoying themselves yeah. and, and the product's still quality after 20 years. It's still high quality, yet it's made in smaller batches, still a single origin. And they're doing that through, or they're helping that finance that through their own cellar door. So I think that's kind of a viable option for, for us. For sure. In such a beautiful spot yeah. there as well. And we're in, you know, an hour and a half from Sydney. We're even closer than the Hunter Exactly, is, so yeah. There is potential there. Um, but again, it's another very large capital investment it so is it's, yeah it's going to be slow steps where yeah well that's it that's big cool. small steps everything small steps but how long how long has it been since you started you know the pines brand oh we've just gone through a four-year mark so that's i mean four in years last talking month. about small steps but you've achieved a lot in four years yeah, yeah. Well, it slowed <laughs> down a bit once the family came along particularly the second child that's yeah <laughs> pulled marla out of the business there for a while which definitely <laughs> affected things um, but yeah, but yeah. I think we're moving. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, cool. yeah. It seems to be. I don't know. Yeah. I think when you're in it, it's a bit hard to tell. Yeah, because you're <laughs> so focused on what you have to do the next day. Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and I look at my list of projects and yeah, never oh, <laughs> gets same. any shorter. It just yeah, it seems to just get a lot bigger. Yeah, things you want to do. Tacking onto the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, Cal. We'll leave it there. No Thanks, worries. mate. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks for listening to my chat with Marla and Kel Gray from the Pines Dairy in Kiama. If you want to check out more about what they do, you can find them online at thepineskiama.com.au. If you want to find out more about us, our website's quicksandfood.com and you can find us on social media at quicksandfood on Instagram and on Facebook. Get out there and support the Illawarra Cookbook. It's available on our website and from all good Illawarra retailers. Support local food, support independent publishing. Thanks so much for joining me for this Quicksand Food podcast, and we'll see you again with the next episode. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.